You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. A reading from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. For just as a body is one, it has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. With our more presentable parts do not require, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. The word of the Lord. Here comes the greatest woman on the face of the entire earth to read the gospel text. Would you stand for the gospel? This is from Luke. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. When the feast was ended, as they were returning, 
The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? They did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to you, Lord Christ. And if this is your first time here, that's my wife. I'm not just hitting on random people who go up to the lecture. You may be seated this morning. Somebody online is like, what? They better be married. Um, please bear with me. My voice is on its way back. And I'm sure whatever, like, if my voice was an iPhone, it's up to 32% battery right now. We're going to take it back down to zero over the next 30 minutes. Uh, but just bear with me. And if Ian turns me up a little bit and it's a little loud, it's just because I'm trying not to strain. Because we, uh, we have our final Sunday in the Don't Forget to Pack uh, sermon series. And week one, uh, as we were getting ready for our journey of 2022, week one, we packed a mirror because we need to be people who have healthy what? Come on, what was week one? Self-awareness. I, I, good, good. Some of you got that right. Some of you said good things, but some of you got it right. There is healthy self-awareness, and to put that simply, we need to walk around the earth every day aware that we are not yet complete human beings, that we are not finished. We have to have a healthy awareness of the fact that we have more growing to do and should not be surprised when we make mistakes and not feel defensive about them or like we have to out-debate our mistakes, but recognize that who I am right now is not complete, and honestly, I don't want who I am right now to be complete. I believe that there's more health in me that God has for me, and I don't want this to be my best self. We live in a world that says, be your best self today. I, I want to be the best self I'm able to be today, but I know there's more best to come in my life because the Holy Spirit's not done with me yet. Amen? And so we have to walk around knowing that we're not complete. There's going to be a limit to our goodness, and we grow through our successes and mistakes. The second week, we packed an empty suitcase, which is a weird thing to pack, but we packed an empty suitcase because we need space in our lives for the gifts of other people who don't look like us. We need space in our life so that God can deposit into our life gifts from people that we would not normally be inclined to have in our life. Because under self-awareness, we know that we are not yet complete. And we won't be complete until somebody who has a gift in their life 
bestows it upon us and somebody that isn't like us because God wants us to be diverse, you ready, even in our own personhood. He doesn't just want our social network to be diverse or our church to be diverse. He wants us to be diverse in our own personhood. And so we are not finished until people who are unlike us on every category you can imagine we open our life to their gifts and make room, unclutter some of the stuff that's easy for us to have and receive what other people have. The following week, we packed a serving bowl for the long trip in case we get nauseous. I thought that was a funny joke last week. I don't know. This is generosity. We talked about the wedding at Cana and how our generosity and our serving keeps the party going in other people's lives. Jesus kept the wedding going. And you might say, well, some people's lives are filled with tragedy and heartache. They still need some gladness. Amen? They still need a little dose of happiness. They need to know that there is good yet to come and that your ladder will be greater. That's what I'm going to talk about today. I just set half of you up for that. Um, but other people's lives are not complete until our gifts are bestowed unto them. And so if you're living feeling like you don't have gifts, number one, please know this, Jesus is always saying your life, your person, who you are is already a gift that the world is receiving. And don't ever let the enemy's voice tell you that you don't have anything to give. Don't ever let the enemy, Jesus will say, get behind me, Satan, a hundred out of a hundred times. You, who you are is enough gift that God and Jesus are excited to give to the world. Know that. Know that. That's not arrogance. That's trust. That's trust. I have to trust that my life is a gift. I don't think it is on my own, but because of Jesus, I trust that it is. Amen? Today, finally, we're going to pack a 2023 calendar. Is everybody ready for 2023? You should be should be ready for 2030, but we'll take it easy on everybody. The Native Americans uh, in upstate New York, uh, I was hiking through um, some trails in Lake George, and there is a plaque, and on that plaque, it's from the Iroquois Indians, and it says, in our every deliberation and in every decision we make, may we have the seventh and eighth generation from us in mind. That's powerful. That's why your Bible is filled with genealogies that we don't like to read because we don't know how to pronounce names that are different than ours. But we have to say their names. We have to say names that are different than our names to know that God works through people who are different than we are. Good people, people who've made mistakes, people who shouldn't be in those genealogies, people who probably didn't realize they would ever get into one of those. He, God, works through a history of imperfection. And one day he will tie it together into a bow of perfection. But we right now are a line in a genealogy. And God wants us making decisions for the upcoming generations. We should not be like Hezekiah who thinks, you know what, even though the next generation is going to incur the wrath of God, at least for the next 15 years, I'll be okay. That's not a healthy way to live. What are we doing in our life today? that is sowing seed ahead of us to future generations so that their ladder will be greater. Let me not get ahead of myself. Haggai 2, verses 5 through 9. 
our verse for 2022. My spirit remains in your midst. And then the outflow of that. Fear not. Everybody say fear not. For thus does the Lord of hosts yet once more in a little while. I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. He has to say fear not because we're afraid of being shaken. But we should be far more afraid of never being shaken. We should be far more afraid of a smooth life where everything is at ease and I'm never confronted with the part of me that needs to change the most. So when our life begins to shake, we do need to hear fear not because that shaking is going to get rid of what needs to be gotten rid of. That shaking is going to free me from areas where I'm holding on too tight. That shaking is going to make me a person who doesn't need to control you so I could satisfy my own ends. I don't know if I got somebody in here whose life has been shaken, but on the other side of it, you're humble and you're expecting that your God will make a way where there is no way and you can't do that on your own. Fear not, I will shake. And I'm so grateful he reminds us not to be afraid of that shaking. So that the treasures of the nation shall come in. And we talked about what that was a few weeks ago. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, doesn't belong to us. And the gold is mine, it doesn't belong to us, declares the Lord of hosts. And here we go for today. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. The Spirit will remain in our midst to shake us to make us holy. And I'll repeat myself a few more weeks. Being holy is not just having good ethical moral behavior. Of course it includes that. But holiness is when your goodness and your sanctification and what God is doing in your life is spilling over and blessing the lives of other people. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, an exclusively Jewish theologian, says of Noah... He was righteous in his own generation, but everyone else around him was wicked. And Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, an exclusively Jewish theologian, says, there's a lot of good to be found in Noah, but there's also some bad to be found because his righteousness was not contagious. If it was, he would never have closed the doors to the ark until as many people could have gone on as possible. It's a healthy way to read the story. God doesn't want us just to be good. He wants us to be contagiously good. He doesn't want us to be random, righteous people in the midst of a wicked generation. Honestly, this is cheesy, but I think it's fair. He wants our righteousness to spread faster than COVID-19 ever could. Is that fair? He wants people to get it. Isolationism is when we're wearing a mask over our righteousness. And making sure that other people don't get it. Because it's costly for other people to, get, to live into your holiness. It's costly because the minute somebody catches what you have, you're responsible for them. It's not just about getting people saved and then sending them off to where they go and saying, we had 200 salvations this year. It's about every one of those births that happen in every church during the year being carried well, held well, nurtured well, and sent on their way well, which is work for us. So it's easy sometimes to not want people to catch the gospel in my life because I can just be good on my own terms, but that's not holiness. Holiness is Jesus touching lepers and lepers becoming more like Jesus and Jesus staying exactly like Jesus. The 
2023 calendar is the final item that we pack, our ladder will be greater. Let me say this and disappoint everybody. We've heard the song. We've been to the altar. We've all said, my ladder will be greater. And I want everyone to know. Here's my take on that. Whenever we say, our ladder will be greater, we should never be talking about ourselves. That's going to sell so many. This is going to be popular. When we say our ladder will be greater, I cannot be talking about myself. I have to be talking about the next generation. And when their ladder is greater, the first thing they should say is to the next generation, your ladder will be greater. And then the next generation, your ladder will be greater. We keep passing that baton forward because the greater should never end until Jesus comes back and we all embody his greatness. It's selfish when we say the end of my life is going to be greater. Of course God wants that. But that is not all he wants. He's handing you a baton saying your life is going to grow. But hand that baton off. Be willing at some point to get rid of that baton. As we transition in the church from one generation to another, you often see moments where preachers said, I want the younger generation in this church to take it farther than me. And then the moment that happens, it's a little scarier than they thought. It's a little bit humbling to have somebody that you taught move past where you're at. It's easy for me to say right now, I want Theodore to be greater than me one day. But I think at worst, I don't want that. (laughs) At best, I want him to be greater purely because of me one day. But God forbid other people feed into his life and Jesus and the Holy Spirit sends other people into Theodore's life and he moves places out of my theology and out of my way of leading and out of all these things and he finds his own way and God is in it and I find myself in the valley of decision. Am I tr- did I really mean what I said when I said your ladder will be greater? Or do I need to somehow be so invested in it that his greatness still keeps mine a little bit ahead of his because he needs me? Oh, this is scary. In a little while, I'm going to show you some of the pictures that our kids drew because the fourth Sunday of every month, I show our kids art. And Grady and I were laughing because our kids tend to only draw monsters or people coming to the Lord's table holding hands. It's funny, but I think our kids are trying to tell us that we either view them as monsters or members. We're going to talk about that in a moment. And I'm going to share my worst parenting moment with you to date. I said that now so that nobody leaves during the sermon because you're all so gossipy that you're excited to hear it. Just kidding. I'm only kidding. It's true. I'm just kidding. In this story of Jesus, quote unquote, being lost in the temple, we see one brief moment where the perfect life of God is 12 years old. And as a 12-year-old, Jesus reveals what we should be looking for in our children, and he reveals who we need to be as parents to be able to greenhouse that life in our children. So this interaction with Mary, Joseph, and Jesus at 12 is so unbelievably fertile for us to learn, not just biological parents, although I am talking to you, 
But anyone who is a baptized member of the church has a parental responsibility over every child that is in that church. And every decision you make, seen or unseen, affects every child in this church. And so we have a responsibility together. I want to say this. Jesus was never lost in the temple. Jesus was never lost anywhere, ever. Jesus wasn't lost in the temple, and Jesus wasn't lost when he was in the tomb. Can somebody say amen to that? Jesus is never lost. Only Mary and Joseph are lost. And Mary and Joseph are lost until they find Jesus in the temple. And that's how we need to read that story. Jesus was never lost. He's the one who said, how did you not know where I'm supposed to be? I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, Mom. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, Dad. You're lost until you realize where I'm supposed to be. As a sidebar, I just want you to know, Jesus will walk with you in your life. And then you will get to a point in your life where Jesus will stop walking with you and let you walk on ahead thinking he's still next to you talking. Has anybody been there in the mall? You're chatting, you're chatting, and the person you're with is now behind you and you're talking to yourself? Jesus does that to us all of the time. Because Jesus right now is sitting in a place in your life that you have walked away from because you don't want anything to do with that part of your life, but he is sitting there listening, asking questions, and giving answers, waiting for you to show up and say, how did you not know that I'm staying in this part of your life until we bring some healing to it? And he will stay there until you find him there. One of the ways that Jesus finds us is by letting us find him. That's yours. It's the last time I'm not charging for a phrase. From now on, it's $1.50 every good point I make. I hope to have like five bucks by the end of the service. Jesus at 12 reveals what children should be becoming and what we as a Christian church should be providing for that becoming. And I want to look at three things. Your ladder will be greater. We need to live a life where our children are not just going to move farther into the life of God than we have, but they also need to understand that their job even now is to begin to prepare the way for their younger brothers and sisters to move deeper into the life of God than them. It is never too early to start teaching that lesson. As a matter of fact, we can begin to shift the ethos of the world if we begin to teach our kids at a young age that their job in life is to prepare areas for those coming behind them to move farther than them. If we can teach them that now, we might have better politicians in office one day, missionaries who are doing God's work, pastors who have a word in their mouth. I was going to say other things, but there's no reason to trigger everybody. So, number one, Jesus was in the temple. Kids should be in the temple. Let's, when you read your Bible... Do not look past the most simple and obvious reality. Our kids should have an excitement for the shared space that we gather in. How many have had a vacation spot they've gone to? How many people have a restaurant where you met somebody you love? I can think of Cold Spring, that gazebo in Cold Spring, where I planned on asking my wife to marry me. But there was a marching band in it when I got there that day. 
So I can't say that that's the special place. It's down a little bit where the sound was finally drowned out. <laughs> Had this whole, I'm like, are you, are you kidding? There's an entire like college marching band in here right now. First of all, why you bring a whole marching band into a gazebo in the first place? What are you doing? Except, anyway. But we all have places. We all have places where we say, this is where something amazing happened. Honestly, sometimes we even immortalize places where terrible things happen. Because something in us, every once in a while, wants to go back to a place where something bad happens because it's just kind of in the DNA of a Christian to know that God is even going to do something to resurrect this moment. And I don't want to forget about it because even though my past is closed to me, my past is not closed to God and he's not done with my yesterday. So sometimes we even venture back to places where bad things happened because we know that God's not done being God yet in those moments. Place is so important. Promised land, Red Sea, Jordan River, Canaan, the Amorites, Samaria, the well, the upper room, the prison where the foundations were shaped. All of these places, we will still go and travel to them now to stand where Jesus stood, to stand on what might have been Mount Calvary, to stand where Peter maybe got baptized, to stand where, where the earthquake happened and the Holy Spirit descended. Place matters. We have places in our life. We, we, with red face and white knuckles, we know our kids are supposed to be in school. And we hallow the school, which we should. But God forgive us if this room is an afterthought compared to all those other places. We have to be showing them, not telling them, that this gathering space... And I'm saying shared space because not everybody gets to gather in a beautiful sanctuary like us. Some people are gathering at home churches. Some people in the world are gathering outside. Wherever the shared space is that you gather, that place is called the church. You are called the church. And it is valuable and our children need to see value in our lives. They need to. We can't have a bad attitude about it on the one hand, and honestly, we can't deconstruct institutions on the other hand just because they've been wrong in the past. That is not becoming of a Christian. Our job is to not deconstruct the institution of religion. Our job is to sanctify it in the Holy Spirit by apologizing where we need to apologize and living right where we can and, and reestablish for the world that this is a safe place, safe, because we're willing to admit when we're wrong. Kids are in the temple. Adults need zeal for this shared space. Jesus was showing them, Mom and Dad, you left too quick. And just maybe as a side joke, when church is over on Sundays, don't bounce out so fast. <clears throat> I remember one Sunday I was standing right here, and there was something downstairs, and I said to Pastor Mark, listen, I got to go. And he's like, okay, cool. You don't want to be a leader. I'm like, could you ever once just let me down nicely? You always kick me right on. Like, and I'll never forget the conversation. God knew I needed to be talked to that way. It's like people who love the place stay there because it's not about you coming to get fed and then you leave. That's selfish. It's about you coming to get fed with everybody else and then enjoying their company for a little while. Right? We should be heartbroken to leave. 
and unless the Giants are playing at one, and then we just got to get out sometimes. You know, it's like a discernment situation. You, gotta, you don't want to make rules. We got to be led by the Holy Spirit. want to be legalists, right? When you leave early, you're wrong. If I skedaddle, the Spirit was leading me. All right, the next thing Jesus was doing was he was listening, he was asking questions, and it says they were amazed at his answers. He was listening, everybody say listening. Asking, answering. Jesus at 12 was listening, he was asking, and he was answering. Please hear what I'm about to say. We need to create an environment in our homes, in our church, where kids are going to be healthy if they listen. They're going to hear stuff. Is what they're hearing polluting or clearing the airspace between their ears? Okay? They're going to listen. They're going to ask. And they're going to answer. And their answering is going to be rooted in what they've heard and what they've asked. So many times we get frustrated with the things our kids say strictly because we see our worst self in what they said. And we take it out on them instead of saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know where you got this from. Your mother. (laughs) No one can be mad at me. I have a sore throat. Feel bad for me. I'm just doing the Lord's work with a sore throat. Sorry, Jacqueline. I lost my voice from Jacqueline yelling at me. What are we doing so our kids can listen, ask, and answer? Number one, no pollution. What they hear should make hearing easier. What they hear should make them want to hear again. What they hear should lead their ears to the voice of Jesus. What they hear should not bring smog and toxins and negativity into their life. Here's two poles that I don't want us to be at. I don't want our kids to hear vain cynicism just because things aren't going the way we want them to go. We have a responsibility to live disappointed but still have our kids hear hope. Okay, if we are, if you ready, if our kids always hear every feeling we have, we are just like our children. We should be able to say things that are different than how we're feeling because we're adults. We are mature. As I watch my daughter walk to and fro in these seats, I love her. They should not hear every feeling you have. They should not hear every thought you have. They should hear those things that are going to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That's what they should hear. But on the other hand, they shouldn't hear naive optimism either. They shouldn't just hear that everything is going to be okay. They shouldn't just hear that they're always, they're never going to get hurt or no one's ever going to be rude to them or the world is always going to work out for them. Because of our fear of scaring them too early, we can end up destroying their innocence too early. There has to be a point where we can live in the tension of, with Dr. Chris House coming next week, the liminal space, 
where maturity happens. It takes no maturity to ever be extreme in any category of life. It takes no maturity at all to be extreme. It takes dexterity to be in the middle. So we don't want them to hear cynicism, but we also don't want them to hear vain optimism. We want to teach them about real life in accordance with the stage in life that they are at. And for that, we need each other. I'm up here talking as somebody who has a five-year-old and a three-month-old. I don't know what the heck I'm saying right now, just so everybody knows. In no way, shape, or form do I think anything I'm saying is good. I'm looking for somebody who's got kids to be like, Pastor, you're close. You're, you're treading in the right direction. You're moving okay. But we need help. We need help. And we need the help of people. If you're here and you think you've messed up, you are the most qualified to step into my life and help. If you feel like you have nothing to offer because you made mistakes, I want to take you out to dinner. Because nothing is better than somebody who can say, I did it this way and it failed. There's so much authority in that. Please don't think you don't have a voice because you think you've made mistakes. One of the marks of a Christian should be bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in the field where you failed by helping me not. Okay. Your story's not over, mom and dad, because you messed up. Your story's not over because I'm here with a five-year-old girl. Please, God, in the name of Jesus, help me. Please help me. You're all going to get to watch us go through dating and stuff. Help, help. Don't sit in the bleachers and eat popcorn. Help. I need help right now. I need help 13 years from now, now. So please help me. They're asking questions. Our answers to our children need to reveal one underlying reality. Our answers to our children need to reveal that we are okay spending time with them. At every day, I answer in a way that moves things along so we can keep doing what it is that we're doing. We should be answering in ways where our children know there's something better than the answer, our time. We should not be put off by the wise but we should remain. Our answers should show that we are willing to have this conversation now and over and over and over again. And I'm not just talking to parents with young kids. I'm talking to parents with fully grown kids. I still have conversations with my parents. I still ask them things and we still spend time together. I still need to hear what it is that they have to say, especially because with my two kids, I'm being confronted with everything I did to my mom and dad. And I'm curious, how'd you all navigate this? Because I turned out almost perfectly. So how did you tell me what you did? And they were amazed at his answers. Amazed at his answers shows that they had a desire for him. Nothing will capture a child's heart more than knowing at any stage in life that they are desired. So it's not just that they're listening, but what are they hearing? And it's not just that they're asking questions, but do our answers reveal a hurry up or do our answers reveal pull up a chair, let's sit down together. And then when they answer, 
do they see that we desire them? Or are we only impressed with people our age? Are we only impressed with people who are past where we're at? Or can we be impressed with the revelation and the prophetic nature of a child? We're getting close to my terrible story. It's not funny. And Jesus was submissive. And every parent said, submit to my authority. Why'd you laugh, Sophia? All right. Our kids, because of their own physical, spiritual, and emotional safety, need to submit to their parents, to the leaders in a church, to people who've been down that road before. My famous example that I always try to give, you know, if somebody's ever, if a kid has ever said to you, like, you know, you're telling me not to do that, but you've done it, right? There's wisdom in having done something wrong, and no one should try to take that away from you. Like I've always said, if I'm on the highway and there's a traffic jam and Anthony's coming a couple hours later and I say, Anthony, don't take 87 North. There's a traffic jam and Anthony's like, well, you took it, so I'm going to. Who's the bigger dummy at that point now? <laughs> Me for being in a traffic jam I didn't know was there or Anthony for thinking because I got into a traffic jam he could too. You can't say dummy. That's a potty word. You can say it in your head though. We're not fully saved yet, so <laughs> got to say it somewhere. We have to be bigger. Listen, we have to be bigger than the moment our children are in. We cannot match reaction for reaction if they're going to be submissive, if they're going to have a submission underneath our mission. Our mission needs to be heading in a good direction. If their mission is going to be under our mission or with our mission, our mission needs to be leading them to green pastures, still waters. We have to be bigger than ever any moment they're in. I've told you this story before where I was talking to a person probably in their 20s from this church, and they said, you know, back in the day, me and my dad had a really rough relationship, and he would drive me to school just to make sure I went. And whenever he would get in the car, he'd put on his favorite music, and I would turn the dial right away. And my dad would never turn the dial back. And this kid said to me recently, I used to think that it was because he was scared of me. But now I realize it's because he was bigger than me. He was okay with me. I wasn't getting over on him. I wasn't getting a last lick in. He was being bigger than me being obnoxious. He handled, he didn't match reaction for reaction. He was bigger. His, his personhood was larger than me acting up. And there was space for me to act up before I got to the boundaries where he has to react. And I think that's healthy. We should have a bandwidth that can handle more devices than our children. We should be more charged. We should be, our tent pegs should be wider than theirs so we can house where they're at. We can't match reaction for reaction. Here is, and I'm sharing this, I'm sharing this. I asked Jacqueline, do you think I should share this story? And, and we talked about it because honestly, this was crushing for me. This is not even funny. This was crushing. And I'm glad, like I said last night, I have a little bit of a sore throat uh, because you won't know if I'm cracking or if it's just my throat. You want to play? I just, it feels like you should because I'm going to have a moment. 
And by the way, this dude can play. He can play. And he's from peak skill like me, so that's good. I'm just stalling. I'm stalling because I don't want to do what Jesus told me to do and tell the story. When, when, I, when I tell this story, please, please don't, like, just, you did this too, okay? Has anybody asked, like, your, your kid is talking to you, especially when they're younger? Maybe when they're older, but when they're younger. And they just start to take a really long time to say something. And you're just like, are you serious? Like, Dad, I have a question. Yeah, um, because, like, the minute they say because, you're like, we're going to be here for an hour and a half. They don't know what they want to say yet. So that happens all the time. And like me, Sophia loves to talk. And like me, she starts talking before she's decided what she wants to say. But, and I say this, here's my first offering to you from my limited experience as a parent. What you do at night is very different than what you do during the day with your children. The way you speak to them at night is very different than the way you speak to them during the day. And I learned that. Sophia wakes up. She's scared. We can't tell if she's scared or doesn't want to go to sleep. So back and forth. Can you tuck me back in? My blankets aren't on the right way. My feet are sticking out. Then tuck them in. You have 4,000 blankets. on your. I can't even see your bed. Your room is a fort of blankets. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I'm getting really mad. So finally, I'm standing in the doorway of her room, and she says, Dad, one more thing. She's standing there, and I was like, what? And she's like, um. I was like, what? She's like, um. I was like, Sophia, hurry up and tell me. She's like, well, I, and I was like, you know what? Just go to bed. She went to bed week or two later, and that's important, a week or two later, I noticed something. I'm sitting next to her, putting my arm around her, and she's letting me. At night when I tuck her in, jump up next to her, put my arm around her, she's letting me. But there's a difference. I can tell she's not engaging the way that she normally does. And it hit me because she was letting me be close. But there was a part of her that I could tell wasn't engaged. No one in this room would be able to tell what I can tell. No one knows your kids better than you do. And please never forget that. So I said to her in this really, really nice moment, I said, Sophia, are you upset? Is something wrong? And she said, yes, I'm still upset from the night that I was trying to find my voice and you didn't help me find it. If you can't feel that as a dad, I'm like, all right, just talk to your mom for a second. Just talk to your mom. I was trying to find my voice, and you weren't helping me find it. I was hurrying her up. The minute I walk back into the bedroom, Jacqueline's looking at me, and I'm just like, first of all, how smart of a girl that we, I'm terrified of this. If that's what she's saying when she's five, I'm going to be found out by the time she's six, like everything. But I also said, I just got one of the greatest gifts from the Holy Spirit that he's ever given me. My job is to help my children have a voice and to not move so fast, but to help them find it, to help them establish it. Because here's the thought I had. 
It's late at night. It was 3 in the morning when that happened. I want Sophia to have a voice at 3 a.m. in the morning when she's older because one day she's going to need it at that time of the day. And I don't want some other joker helping her find her voice. I want to have helped her find her voice. I always want her to know that I talked more tenderly to her at 3 a.m. than anybody else ever could. It hurt. It still hurts telling that story, but it's a gift. We want submission. But are we willing to slow down long enough to earn that submission from our children? To, let me use a better word than earn. To cultivate that submission from our children. To be wider to be able to last in the moment with them longer, to be able to have, to speak slower. I should be talking slower than her to her, not trying to hurry her up. I should be slowing down because I want her ladder to be greater than the current moment she's living in and to help her get there I need to sacrifice a lot of time, a lot of uniqueness, a lot of things I want to do in life. I have to let go of them because I have this goal now given to me of raising these children to be able to hand the baton to their kids and to teach them even earlier. I want to say thank you to people like my brother Frank, my dad, my father-in-law, Pastor Mark, Pastor Phil, these people who've told me before. See, I was the one going to men's meetings, hoping they were talking about being married or having children, knowing that I wasn't married and had no kids, because at least I'm figuring this out when she's five. Keep handing that inheritance down. Maybe Theo will be able to speak well at night to his daughter one day from the beginning because of this kind of story. So keep handing it down. Let's just rip through some of these pictures real fast. I want you to see them. Friends or monsters. <laughs> keep going, just go. I'm going to assume monster. Keep going. Friends, we'll call it friends. Keep going. Friends. Stressed, but friends going. Ah, definitely friends. Definitely friends. That's Sophia. Monster. Keep going. Friends. Is that it? Monster. Grady was like, I don't know what we're doing. Like, this is strange. It's friends or it's friends or monsters. And I wrote down here. Monainster. <laughs> we will view our children as monsters or members. Monsters because we're afraid that they're going to take from us our time, our unique calling, what we've worked hard for and now can't do because they're having another problem, they're having another issue, and this isn't young kids, this is kids in high school, kids in college, kids that are grown out of the house, married, all of a sudden, I mean, I know, like, even my problems can, my parents are finally empty nesters, and we're calling them all the time, dad, insurance, dad, you know, Jacqueline's annoying me, tell her to stop, no, I'm just kidding, like, we can still take, sometimes we see our kids as monsters because we're afraid that we're going to mess them up or that we already have. So we're afraid of them. 
because I, I don't want to lose them, but I don't want to get so close and mess them up either. I'm not sure what to do. And I think our kids are trying to tell us in these drawings that members are when we know that first and foremost, our children are children of their father who are in heaven. And that God will give us the grace that he gave to Mary to carry them, to nurture them, to love them, and to be able to let go of them when letting go of them is the right thing to do. He will give us that grace. I want to share this one verse with you. It's a weird one. It's the reverse genealogy in the Gospel of Luke, and it ends with this. The son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mehael, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. The son of Adam, the son of God. The son of Adam, the son of God. The work of Christ is so vast and so perfect that it has worked so far backwards to make the race of Adam children of God. The definition of sin and rejection in your Bible, before Jesus dies on the cross, Luke is already letting you know what you're about to read in this gospel has made Adam a son of God and anyone from him are children of God. So we don't need to be afraid to mess up. We need to know that we will. But we need to know that, you ready? That God is still saying to Adam, your ladder will be greater. Come on, Sam. He hasn't stopped saying to Adam and Eve, your ladder will be greater. You know why? Because everybody's ladder is Jesus. And Jesus is always greater. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Worship team, you can come on up here. We see parenting at its finest when Jesus is at a table. I don't, I mean, is it weird to bring up Yellowstone right now, I guess? Like... But you know, like whenever they're, whenever they're eating at the table, and I might spoil something for somebody, but I don't care because whatever. They always flip out at the table because they have unprocessed issues, a lot of unprocessed issues from the past. Beth is crazy. She's crazy. And they always fight and leave. And finally, one day a fiance shows up and Beth flips out and leaves at the table. And the fiance says, why do you flip out every single meal? She's like, because being at that table reminds me of the worst that's ever happened. And he said, why don't you just eat at, your house is massive. Why don't you just eat at another table? She's like, oh. And they go to a table that's in the living room. And they all sit down and have these nice meals together. And I thought, that's great. But Jesus can affect that first table. He can change it. Jesus doesn't want us running away from our past. He wants us to sit right up next to our past. And he wants to show us what he's doing with our mistakes. Judas, betrayal, Peter, denial, Thomas, doubter, everyone else, 
too careful to be named for what they've done, but they all have a thing. And he sits there and he says, this is my body broken for you. You're going to break it tonight. This is what every parent needs to say. Kids, you're going to break my body. But just so you know, you actually can't break it because it's broken for you. And you are going to spill my patience all over the place. But you can't really because it's already spilled for you. Like we said a couple of weeks ago, Judas, you can't betray me because I'm telling you to go do it. I'm already offering before you can betray. Because that's what adults do for children. We're bigger than the moment that they're in. We can call it up and we can slowly help them heal, slowly help them hand that baton off to the next generation. We don't have to run from our mistakes. We have to sit at the table with Jesus and realize he's healed all of them and he's going to let us bear fruit from our mistakes. Not in spite of them, not over against them, from them. Holy Spirit, I pray that you descend on this bread and this cup that everyone's holding in their hand. That it would become for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life. I pray that we would never not hear the sound of children that we hear right now, but that this would always be a space that is filled with this delightful sound of children hearing your word, hearing your worship, and watching their parents, friends, and brothers and sisters lead by example and worship you above everything else we could worship. Holy Spirit, descend on this room. Speak to our children in ways that will help them speak to us. Speak to us in ways that will help us speak to them. And I pray that communion would happen in all of our homes and between our homes as we live more into what it means to be members of the body of Christ. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Would you partake with me this morning and would you worship with us one more time? Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.